CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by LexisNexis Litigation Solutions and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back uh, and good morning. And this is CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag Mobility. Today's topic is smarter government through big data. And our guests for today's show are Kevin Caps, who is the chief data web systems with the U.S. Census Bureau. Morning, Kevin. How are you? Uh, doing fine. How is life treating you, sir? Oh, um, busy. Busy. Big data's taken off. Gives us a lot to do here. All right. So you are at the top enjoying this new journey, right? The well, hype? <laughs> climbing. Climbing. The climbing. Okay. Great. And we also have uh, Ellis Burgoyne, who is the CIO and Executive VP of the U.S. Postal Service. And he's also a member of the CIO Executive Council. Uh, welcome to this show. Uh, so, Ellis, how is life treating you? Uh, it's going well, Sanjo. Very well. Very good. So any new, different, fun, exciting going on in your life and work? Uh, well, work, you know, dictates a lot of what's going on for me. And there's a lot, mm-hmm. of, a lot of excitement going on in the postal services. I'm sure a lot of people can read about yes. or uh, follow in the, in the media. So definitely, it keeps us, busy, keeps us busy from a technology perspective. Great, great. Now, as we already know that big data is in vogue, and Kevin, as you mentioned, and this is actually with all industries, but we also know how much potential big data has for the government and government institutions. But this is also a huge topic because we want to look at what benefits it might have, what's been the reason it's been so slow in terms of adoption, and how government and uh, has challenges and business values that are unique in uh, comparison to the private sector. So, uh, Kevin, let's start with you as a first question. When we talk about uh, big data and in government context, what is it specifically or overall that government is really hoping to get out of it? Well, I think different organizations look at big data uh, in different ways. Uh, It came out of the private sector, came out of Google and Twitter and Facebook uh, to basically do marketing. And I think government has a lot of functions, some of its enforcement functions, some of its basically processing things like the postal office. Uh, statistical agencies have their own particular needs, and that is we produce information for policy and for business and individuals that people can use, and we have to do that while maintaining uh, people's confidentiality and privacy. So it's almost like you, when you think of the statistical agencies, privacy is our prime directive. So. We don't look at it in terms of the way that the commercial sector has. So we have unique problems. So, um, Alice, when you look at uh, this world of big data, and, and government, of course, has its own needs, but at the same time, it's, this is not a mature technology. People are learning about it. And government, of course, is all about doing things in a predictable and a secure manner because there's a lot at stake. Do you think this is uh, where people are basically holding back to not be the first adopters? Well, I, <clears throat> I think there's uh, there's a number of challenges that come with big data, especially for government agencies. For us, uh, with the Postal Service, we're kind of in the commercial space. 
as well as public policy space on the government uh, on the government side. And I think what holds back um, a lot of um, organizations is really just the the the, uh, the scope of of data and the amount of data that you have to process and store um, primarily because it changes a lot about your IT infrastructure. It changes. Uh, not only hardware but software, it also changes, um, you know, security um, requirements. It, it changes a lot about the business, and it changes our relationship with our customers as well. So I think the broad scope of what big data can do and the broad scope of the requirements for big data uh, has a big impact, I think, on on budgets, both government and commercial and also the solutions that need to be brought to the market to make big data successful. Now, this is an interesting comment Alice you made. So, Kevin, if if we are talking about this is too big of a bite to chew, why not, you know, convert or divide it in smaller chunks so that it doesn't have that one-time big impact on how government does things and how how it approaches a given new paradigm or, or a technology that would make it manageable and perhaps you'll get started and maybe the the speed of adoption may be faster. What do you think? Well, and the statistical agencies again, our needs are a little different from some of the other agencies like law enforcement. Uh, they actually look for individuals. We try to make sure nobody can identify an individual company or uh, person. So. For us, we've always handled large amounts of data. We're looking at new data from new sources because um, the European countries are often looking at data from uh, the digital uh, information, the digital environment ecosystem. Right now, we've got to evaluate whether or not that new data sources, those electronic transactions, can give us uh, good information more cheaply, give us more uh, specific small area estimates, neighborhood estimates, for example, without breaking confidentiality. And so for us right now, the issue is not so much the technology, not the not what kind of hardware to use or what kind of software to use. That challenge will come later. Right now we've got to find out, you know, is there value here? How do we use it? How do we save money? Uh, is it reliable in the long run? And will the public accept it? So uh, you know, I, I let's come, yeah. Yeah, you know, our, our issues are size and scope. Um, and <clears throat> what we found to kind of manage to your question about, you know, how do you how do you how do you how do you manage this much data? How do you manage it within your environment? I think there are a number of uh, technologies we're looking at in terms of platform solutions that help us scale horizontally to be able to manage this data. So as you invest in data, um, especially for us. And we, and we start to see, you know, more and more potential down the road for data that you, you have a system that you can scale as opposed to buying systems that may, you know, suit your data needs in the short term. And I think those are where some of the technology uh, solutions are and where the opportunity is for us going forward. So, um, Alice, when we even talk about this, and you are going to be—you were actually talking about some technology platforms. And traditionally, we all know that technology is actually the easiest part. It's the change. It's the the places where you thought you would have data it is not there, or maybe it's not clean, and where you did not think that the data will come from. It, it turns out it's more valuable, and all of that is more human and process centric. So do you think big data by design is no longer a technology issue and people who will be successful will have a better handle on people and processes instead? 
Well, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's multifaceted. It's, it's a number of issues you've got as, as data grows, especially in the government space. Um, there's a, a greater emphasis on security and how you secure that data. Um, and also, it's, it's really about the stakeholders that help define how you use data, whether it's um, internally the market, a marketing group or an operations group, or externally, it's customers. It's either commercial customers or residential customers and what their needs for data are and trying to sort through what you know, your external customers or internal customers' data needs are um, is a real challenge. And, and once you have that, the bigger challenge is around data management. So you can, you can provision data to your customer in the right way if it makes them satisfied and gives them the results they're looking for. However, you have to have a very good data man- management system <clears throat> that allows you to keep the data accurate so that, um, you know, it stays accurate and it's useful for the customer in the long term. Kevin, in your world, data, its volume, essentially, the volume of data that you handle has never been small. Correct. So big data may not be a big or a new um, element in your mix. Where do you see the rest of the world scrambling and where you have aced this art? Well, I think that what we're doing is we're looking at some of the horizontal scaling as well. Um, the issue is right now we're, you know, we produce the, uh, GP, uh, the uh, geography data that the rest of the world, the United States at least, lives off of. We've been doing that for years. Uh, so we're handling it now, but we see potentially new data sources coming on the horizon with large administrative data sets where we're actually trying to, you know, produce new estimates for things that we couldn't afford to do before. And also there are ways, some of these surveys cost a lot of money. They cost $25, uh, $50 million to do. So if we can reduce our costs by using other transactional data sources, we will. Uh, but again, that all depends on policy. In the interim, we're studying these horizontal technologies like Hadoop and Spark and, and the other technologies for analytics uh, coming out of, of R and um, perhaps the Apache group that allow us to do, you know, kind of recommendation systems and, and also um, systems associated with analytics that will help us uh, reduce our survey co- uh, processing cost. But this is all right now at the beginning, and, um, you know, we can't really, we haven't committed to anything yet. Alice, don't you think in the past when we used to have more data and, and there were new sources that kind of uh, show themselves and say, okay, use me, you'd say, you know, it's not worth it. But now it looks like with big data, anything that you look at, it looks like, oh, I could perhaps use uh, this data and, and churn out some analytics out of it, which may be useful. So is it not like chasing a ghost? Well, are, we not getting, are we not getting distracted from our main goal? Well, I think you can get distracted and chase chase um, data solutions from customers that maybe um, you know don't get you or the customer anywhere. And I think that can be very dysfunctional, especially in an environment like government where uh, or an agency like ours, a, a group like ours, where we don't you know we don't have unlimited resources. Well, really, no one has unlimited resources, but a lot less resources in the government space to be able to produce data and invest in, in producing that data and provisioning it. So you have to use your, your IT dollar and your, um, your big data dollar well 
And you have to pick and choose what's the best investment for that, that data management strategy, that data capture strategy. And I think that's an ongoing challenge in trying to determine that. But I think that's where you have to have a very good relationship with your, your business customer to be able to sift through what are the better uh, big data projects opposed to those that are just nice to have in terms of data. Kevin, do you think big data is turning out to be a shiny toy, which we are bringing from technology to business, or a business says, I did not ever have this insight, and I went to a conference, and I heard people talking about these these interesting insights that could be gathered, which could actually uh, help our citizens in terms of how we serve them, which is the end goal. And that what opens up some eyes, and then that's why um, we, we go about going after these initiatives. How is, how is this all this getting triggered? I think, um, I think that um, there's a lot of potential, at least in the statistical space that we work in. Uh, for big data, I think it has potential to save a lot of money, has the potential to uh, produce data faster or estimates faster uh, so that we're not talking about a lag. Um, the issue here, though, is like every single you know, in 30 years, you can look over 30 years in IT, um, we've had fads which overpromise things all the way back to artificial intelligence. And uh, what we have to do here is, you know, look at the business, see what we need to do, uh, where the real value is, and try to focus on the pieces of the big data space that will actually solve some of these, these problems. Uh, a lot of that means that we have to understand those problems better before we start doing big investments. So, Alice, if you were to go back, and in fact, we will take a quick break, but when we come back, I'd like to ask this question. And if you had to go back and look at uh, the very topic and say smarter government through big data, and if you had to inventory the three top things which will be the incremental smartness that you'll introduce through big data, what will those be? But listeners, please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Take a look around. Is anyone in your office listening to music on a boombox? <laughs> Probably not, because you stream radio through the cloud like a normal, well-adjusted person living in the 21st century. Know what else you can get through the cloud? Your business phone system. Yeah, switch to cloud-based Ring Central. Run your entire business phone system online and use it with your smartphone and tablet for as little as $19.99 a month per user. And then you can put that old PBX in the junk pile next to the boombox. Ring Central, phone systems reimagined. Sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, uh, Ellis... 
three top things which you feel could be defined as a smarter government by application of big data? Uh, well, I think <clears throat> for smart government, for us, I can only speak for the Postal Service, um, we're a little unique in the sense that we, we're we a revenue-generating organization. We don't, we're not supported by tax dollars. So when we generate um, IT solutions or big data solutions, it has to have a return uh, for us. Um, that, um, and it has to be um, something that you can measure in terms of revenue or cost reduction. And the big thing that we're working on right now is <clears throat> being able to create an inventory of every piece of mail. And if you think about the challenge of that, we, we process over a half a billion pieces of mail every day. And with that mail, we capture a number of elements on the piece of mail, the, uh, the letter uh, address, the return address. We look at the postage. Um, and we actually, on letters and uh, other parts of our, our mail uh, profile, we actually apply what we call a license plate, a barcode on it, so we can track it through our system. <clears throat> Unfortunately, um, only about half of our mail, really, we can inventory right now because... Um, customers, we don't have a barcode on every piece of mail that gives us intelligence and able to to generate uh, data so we can measure that mail and do what most companies do around big data and logistics, being able to improve revenue and reduce costs. But in January, we hope to have almost 100% of uh, barcodes on all pieces of mail, and that's going to really double the amount of data we're going to have to manage within our system. But that gives us a great opportunity to look at new opportunities for revenue, being able to look at logistics, how we can improve costs on the logistics area, and also, most importantly, be able to improve service. And by improving logistics and by monitoring um, service, we're able to, to generate better customer value and it'll help us grow revenue going into the future. That's our biggest challenge right now for big data, how we manage that, and the most important challenge for us going forward is we have to manage that data in real time. That's our goal. We've been managing data in the past by what happened yesterday. Now we're trying to manage all that data, almost 23 petabytes of data, and manage and provision data in real time. That's a big challenge for us. Now, uh, Alice, this is a very good set of areas where you say that it will help any guarantees that it will to the degree that you think it will? Well, I think there's guarantees from a service and logistics perspective in terms of reducing costs. I think in, in both the public and the private sector, I think there are a number of uh, – it's, it's really a principle of business now to be able to manage your inventory and how companies and organizations have been able to reduce their costs. So by having 50% or 100% now of all of our – inventory being able to be managed and manage that in real time. Uh, we've already seen where we had 50% significant improvements in cost and in significant improvements in service, especially um, in an environment where we're, we're downsizing our infrastructure and our network. And you really have to rely on data, um, big data, to be able to manage all those moving parts. So as you consolidate operations, you don't impact service. So we've already seen some significant benefits by big data. 
So, Kevin, in your world, when you look at, uh, since you've dealt with big, like big data or a larger amount of data, where now you're also adopting big data, and perhaps you have a better understanding of how uh, U.S. Postal Services or other agencies could actually better use it compared to, but because they don't have experience in dealing with this size and scale of data. What's your advice? for them to even get started with something like this? Well, again, I think that uh, we have logistical problems too, but primarily when we're doing surveys like the decennial um, where we're trying to get questionnaires in and process the information and we're doing geography data uh, and we're trying to get that close to real time. Like the Postal Service, we're trying to get that closer to real time. A lot of our surveys and data come out, you know, for example, poverty data comes out a year, year and a half after uh, people actually give us, tell us what happened. So, and, and a lot of the statistical agencies, the data comes out, you know, uh, later than we'd like. If you're looking at retail sales, which is one of the major uh, indicators, how well the economy is doing, how all your investments, how stock market should be making its investments, it's only a national number. So we'd love to be able to get, you know, state numbers. You know, Atlanta and, and Chicago and New York are all different economies. They actually compete against each other. We'd love to be able to get data on retail sales in each of the metropolitan areas and not wait to get small uh, retail sales numbers, you know, somewhat later. Uh, these are all challenges that we have in terms of the statistical uh, agencies. Uh, the question is, can we get the technology and also can we get the data? Um, and we'd like to do it in a way other than these very expensive surveys. Our surveys are the, probably the best in the world. Um, we don't ask a 1,000 people. We ask, for example, the unemployment rate comes out of 64,000 households a month. So we ask 64,000 different uh, families every month uh, whether they're looking for work and we process that information. So, but that's very expensive. The question for us is can we make that less expensive and then we want to do things along the line of the post office. If we want to process the data quicker, we want to use technologies to allow us to do it close to real time. We want to use horizontally scaled uh, technologies. I think this so, is a good example with the census. We, <clears throat> we've relied uh, for years, not relied, but we've, we've benefited from, um, from the revenue that, um, that comes our way when, when census uh, comes around. And we've, you know, we've we understand we experience we understand that you know that revenue decline in terms of hard copy surveys, um, you know, will decline. It has declined, and so we're looking at ways to be able to partner with agencies and other companies to tap into the vast amount of data that we have. Um, we go to every household every day. We know where. Um, Individuals live. Um, we are now pairing that information with the amount of mail that they get, and we're not only doing that in real time, but we're looking to um, um, add uh, GPS technology to every household in America as well in terms of the address mapping, which gives us an opportunity. We're not quite sure where that will be in the future, but being able, being able to uh, – map latitude and longitude coordinates to every uh, physical address, uh, mailing address in the United States, adding that to our database and being able to manage how people move around the change of address, you know, is a valuable amount of data that, you know, we're looking forward to um, seeing how we can help other agencies in terms of their own mission 
or other organizations in terms of marketing strategies while protecting our mandate around privacy. So you used a very interesting example, um, Alice, about the GPS. Now, as a consumer, I get my mail at 2.30 p.m., right? And if it comes to me at 2 p.m., how does it matter to me as an end customer? Unless otherwise you've got some other value proposition which helps somebody else. Well, I think um, it matters It matters to you because right now you don't know when your mail gets to you unless you're home waiting for it. What we're looking at in the future is being able to do a couple things. One is predictive delivery. We'll be able to tell you every day what time you can expect your mail within an hour. Uh, Many companies only uh, predict delivery by, you know, 8 o'clock tonight. We'll be able to predict within an hour when you'll be able to expect mail. Now, that may mean a lot for some customers who are expecting something pretty valuable. Uh, you know, they might want to come home for it. They may want to wait for it. Um, and on the other, on the sender side, it's important for a lot of senders, uh, commercial mailers, to know when mail reaches your household so that they can follow up with emails or texts regarding savings or sales that you might be able to take advantage of uh, later. The other is, <clears throat> in terms of... Um, Knowing, you know, what, what time your mail is, uh, you'll be able to um, uh, not only uh, know where your mail is, you'll be able to eventually be able to see electronically online what that mail looks like, what the piece looks like, an actual uh, image of that online, and be able to uh, determine how important that is for you, whether you do want to come home or not. So it's not just what time you get the mail. It's also, you know, what time, what kind of mail it is and exactly get an idea of what it is before you even get home to understand what's in your mailbox. So these are quite – yeah, go ahead. One of the things that we've been dependent on the mail service for years is the mail service gives us our address files. So anything that the Postal Service does to improve those address files – so. We don't go to houses that are abandoned or that are under construction. They have an address, but no one's living there. That, you know, that costs us millions of dollars when you're doing something like the decennial. So, you know, we're interested in continuing to partner with organizations like the Postal Service to improve our data that we use internally for making decisions like targeting and addressing. So would you say, Ellis, this could be very well a co-op type of an arrangement where big data implementation and adoption in one agency, if it's benefiting others, then why should each organization have their own initiative? There could this be one mega initiative where there are uh, integration points and then you get economy of scale and you don't take 20 different technologies and try to integrate them later. Is that how you guys are thinking in your respective uh, industries or agencies or is it, is it that one cohesive effort? Uh, well, for us, you know, I think we're we're trying to build a platform in terms of um, addressing and and mail and um, logistics that would benefit the commercial space and also the government space, uh, like the Census Bureau and other organizations that could benefit from that information and also from for consumers. Um, 
in the, in the new world we're looking at in terms of big data, customers will be able to tap into their own data to know what's coming, what kind of, and they'll be able to look at their own inventory of, of mail usage and spend and create dashboards. Uh, dashboards we normally think in terms of the, uh, the commercial space, uh, the operational space. But we'll have the opportunity to bring dashboards and the benefits of big data to an individual end user, a consumer. And I think those are some of the platforms we're trying to build. And I think it's an ecosystem that has tremendous potential as we go forward. I think what now, bringing the same question back to Kevin, you, like the question I asked Ellis, if this is being cohesive and if you had to make this one cohesive effort, how would you uh, envision something like that? I think if we want to build out this uh, ecosystem, as Ellis was speaking about, one of the big things is to improve the interconnectivity um, between these different organizations. Ellis has a much richer reason to develop mailing addresses than we do, but we use them all the time. Uh, if we could do something other than, for example, if we could get the changes real time, for example, so we were doing, you know, service-oriented architecture where you transmitting updates on a continuous basis, for example, we could save money, at least in the space that we're operating. One of the big issues within government, I'd say connections between state and local government, for example, like housing permit data, we don't get. We get bulk downloads every, you know, on a regular basis. If there was a way that we could develop interfaces so that the different parts of government could talk together more uh, freely, more securely, and more um, um, in real time, we could save a huge amount of money all over the place. Um, because as these big data s- systems get going, one of the biggest features of big data systems is getting data from other organizations and using it with your data in a secure and confidential way. So let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, Kevin, I'd like to yet again come back to you and ask about the data quality, data cleansing, et cetera, the data source, if you will. So we can build the best, sexiest technology and integration points across multiple agencies. But then it comes down to what flows through that plumbing. And if that's the that's going to be the, the, the weakest link, if at all that is a weakest link, what is the plan for it to really be solved in, in a cohesive and in a predictable manner so that after we build these information superhighways, we don't have uh, you know, incorrect or, or, or insecure data or whatever that is required in terms of data integrity, uh, that is not compromised. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Take a look around. Is anyone in your office listening to music on a boombox? <laughs> Probably not. Because you stream radio through the cloud like a normal, well-adjusted person living in the 21st century. Know what else you can get through the cloud? Your business phone system. Yeah, switch to cloud-based Ring Central. Run your entire business phone system online and use it with your smartphone and tablet for as little as $19.99 a month per user. And then you can put that old PBX in the junk pile next to the boombox. Ring Central, phone systems reimagined. Sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal.
You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, uh, Kevin, we were talking about the data source and the quality of the data that flows through this plumbing once you have put that in place. How much of that is an issue versus laying out the plumbing? Well, that's an issue that we have to deal with all the time uh, because we produce official statistics. Um, and as a statistical agency, private um, organizations that produce statistics don't have the requirements to be as transparent as we do. So. Uh, we have to, before we take any data, we do constant evaluations of it and see if it's reliable. Uh, most uh, big data sources are biased statistically, so we have to run a survey against it and, and, and balance it and, and find statistical models that take the bias out. Again, what we're dealing with is trying to predict aggregate trends, not, you know, like Ellis is doing, actually pull up individual data elements for individual people. We want to tell you if retail sales is really going up in Atlanta, for example, or nationally. Uh, we want that to be reliable. So it's a different problem than the classical uh, you know, uh, marketing problem. So, Alice, coming to the analytics or the decision-making, we have we, we could perhaps put all uh, the data in place. Maybe the source data could be there, but it will come down to the end result that you're looking for is some sort of an insight, and that means you got to do some very reliable analytics, and that cannot be totally relied upon on a piece of silicon, which is a computer. you got some human element attached to it, too. So if you were to say reliability or veracity of, of the big data, uh, outputs, how much of that do you have uh, confidence in today, given where we stand with it? Well, you know, the data that we have, we have that we use, um, we have strong confidence in the results. One of the, it's the problem we're having is as we move into these new uses for, for data, we're having to bring together some legacy systems and some legacy <clears throat> data sources that have been siloed over many, many years and have been built separately. And <clears throat> when we try to when we try to get a number, like a revenue number, for a, a large commercial customer, a commercial customer may have ten or twelve different sources where they um, where they outsource actual work and and that revenue transaction isn't always transparent. So we struggle trying to uh, rationalize all of these different elements within our systems that have been around for many years and, as I mentioned, built for different purposes to now extract and get new information. But trying to map all of those new or all of those old systems and map them into some new data systems has been a real challenge for us. And when we do that, um, you know, it's, it's a challenge in trying to look at that number, that revenue number, that cost number, um, or that statistic, or that predictive element that we're looking at. You really have, it gives you pause to see if, if really that data is accurate. And so it's that new data set, it's that new data source we're looking at, and um, that's the piece that we, uh, 
we worry the most about. Kevin, if you were to suggest sitting outside and say, Alice, you're my best friend, how would he, how should he and his team, team should uh, solve this problem? Well, I think this is a problem we've been dealing with in, in IT community for years, and that is um, we typically develop requirements for what I would call a kind of a an end system or what I call a brittle system. Uh, the issue has been over time that we need to, you know, increasingly build systems that change. They need to be organic. And part of that is we need to build communication into them. And when we solve one problem, we often don't generalize it enough so that it evolves gracefully into the next problem. And I think that all of us have done this. We've all developed stovepipes. And I think to some degree that will continue simply because it's easier to do. It's easier to understand a limited set of requirements. But when we build a system, the first thing you know is we want to, you know, it's, the, it's these people that can see the, can connect the dots. And as Ellis is doing, he's connecting a lot of dots. He's seeing a lot of questions that he can answer from his data. And I think one of the big issues is we have to find people who can bring that insight of connecting those dots to bring out new products for less money. And when we do that, that means we're going to have to connect systems more and more in ways that we, we didn't do it in the past. Uh, so I think that, you know, from the from the get-go, trying to think about how do we make systems communicate for, for requirements that we don't have today is going to be an ongoing challenge. So why would you even want to invest in something for a problem which you don't have today and which is going to come in future? We've got enough problems today which we need to solve. Well, if you make as a general principle that um, it may cost you millions and millions of dollars to rebuild a system. It may take you 10 years to rebuild it. And you have a situation where you're saying, uh, I have data in this batch system over here that has a lot of information in it. And I have somebody like Ellis who's just saying, I can save millions of dollars if I can get the information from that batch-oriented stovepipe into a system I combined with another system like my, my, my customer addresses or whatever to make new insights that I can sell, um, it's, those are the kind of things you can't depend on. You can't afford to rebuild later. So building in the generality to communicate these things, um, maybe even to subset and put into another sandbox for analytics inexpensively is something that I think that we're going to constantly be, be pushed to do, and I think we're going to do that more and more as we move to a cloud. I think, so, I think, Kevin, I think Kevin's exactly right. Um, one of the, you know, you can't rest on old data uh, sources in an environment like we have where some of the old data is just telling us what we already know. And it's, it can predict what we already probably could predict already, especially for us it's where hard copy mail is declining. So you need new data sources and you have to think about new ways to use data to create new revenue sources. So what can you do with hard copy mail to make, it, to make it more sexy, to make it more appealing, to help bend that curve of, you know, decline that we've been experiencing because of disruptive technology that the big data, in a way, has helped create? So you have to think about things like augmented reality, being able to put, um, you know, QR codes on mail, um, using new technology, embedding that into mail so that you can make it uh, more interesting, uh, more marketable, and more commercially viable. But that also creates um, the need for bigger data, better data, and better predictive data for marketing to be able to make that decision we talked about, 
to make the right decision about where to invest, what markets to target, and what what information you provision to to commercial mailers, and also what information consumers want and how they want it provisioned to them. So this is about, you know, what we can do and what will create value. Now, same is the case where we have to look at speed. We all want agility. And if you want agility, that means we don't want to be waiting 10 years for us to, you know, reap benefits of this. How could you make this faster? For, for us right now, we, we're looking at, at new data sources, uh, breaking the traditional mold of perhaps just doing a survey and giving you the answers. Uh, for us, it may mean combining data sources together in ways we haven't. Right now, the big issue for us before we can really move forward on a major scale is public acceptance and scientific acceptance. So for us, we're, we're handcuffed by something that, that Ellis isn't. He has the ability to say, I can combine this data, and I see new insights, and I can map to my customers, and that's a value-added proposition. We have two problems. We have to say, can't, do we have somebody as, as, as bright as Alice here that can make those, connect those dots, see those new products? And then secondly, because we're a source of official statistics for the nation, uh, does the nation accept it, does it accept those methods? So we have to look at both of those processes. Um, and it would be much simpler if we could just simply say, we're going to combine this data and here's a new estimate for, you know, journey to work or how long it takes to get to work every day. We, we can't do that without going through the proper channels. So, um, Ellis, when we were to come back and say, while we are trying the best we can, but it seems like the regulatory issues or privacy and other uh, compliance issues that typically are very closely connected to any government initiatives, they are, uh, are, are a damper or they are not appropriate for the new world that we want to live in. So if you were to go out and appeal to everybody else out there and say, help me help you, what changes would you like to see in those? Or would you say that compliance and privacy and, uh, and, and these other regulations are becoming more of a scapegoat for agencies where they are saying that's causing them to slow down and that's why there is a slower adoption? Well, I think, and it's a great question, I think for us it's, um, it's uh, complicated because we rely heavily on our brand, which is a secure uh, brand where... Uh, you know, traditionally, it's been what, what's called the sanctity of mail. We protect, we protect what's in there, in your mail. We protect, you know, who's sending it, and who's receiving it, and that's been really uh, a, a large part of our brand, and, and and it's legally required. So we, so that kind of a, that's a differentiator for us in the market um, space that people can trust us. As we move into the digital space, as we move into big data, we want to carry that brand, that trusted brand that your data, your your payment card information, your address, the contents of a message, whether it's digital or hard copy, that is protected. Um, so that's that's kind of a brand value for us that we want to protect. But at the same time, it's, it inhibits us from a marketing perspective where we're able to, where we can leverage a lot of information. We couldn't leverage a lot of information, I think, that could benefit, could benefit commerce itself. 
um, if we could do some things um, and share some information that's private, um, you know, currently that we cannot. But I still believe in terms of it maybe not being a – I don't think it really is a barrier to us being able to do more with big data. I don't think we have to violate, you know, our current privacy laws to be able to provide better information to commercial mailers and better, you know, um, provide, you know, opportunity uh, for consumers and um, marketers as well. But I'm, I'm not. Sure, but that's kind of a gray area, and I think it's a, it's an area that we have to uh, work with the legal department along with the. Uh, the public to decide, you know, what what new areas in this new space of new big data, what, what are the barriers, and how much opportunity do we have to provide information that we aren't currently doing while we protect, you know, the privacy statutes we're required to to maintain. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And, Kevin, when we come back, how about looking at the workforce? So you did mention that there are some issues in terms of finding appropriate uh, talent out there who could actually uh, produce the insights that are needed. We all are talking about data scientists and even a role which is supposed to either report to or the CIO or maybe appear to the CIO, which is chief data officer. What is the uh, what is the need of such roles and how short or how acute is the shortage of such people in based on the demand that we have, and especially with government where there is going to be a lot of demand if that's where we are going, how are you going to churn out this workforce or this type of talent in a timely basis? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Take a look around. Is anyone in your office listening to music on a boombox? <laughs> Probably not. Because you stream radio through the cloud like a normal, well-adjusted person living in the 21st century. Know what else you can get through the cloud? Your business phone system. Yeah, switch to cloud-based Ring Central. Run your entire business phone system online. And use it with your smartphone and tablet for as little as $19.99 a month per user. And then you can put that old PBX in the junk pile next to the boombox. Ring Central. Phone systems reimagined. Sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Kevin talking about workforce, data scientists, and even a chief data officer, and perhaps there are other peripheral or, or uh, you know, critical roles that are required for this to move forward in the right direction. Do you think government has the incentive, is, is, has created the right environment to attract that talent, or you have an internal university which is more 
helping your existing workforce to uh, be ready for this challenge? I think with all new technologies, we probably benefit by having the seasoned um, uh, older folks who've seen a lot of production systems, seen a lot of problems, um, and also benefit from the younger that come in and looking at things differently. I think we we can use both. In in terms of data scientists, I think you need to break that into three different parts. One is are the are the people there that understand the business enough to see new opportunities by bringing data together and making new decisions? Uh, a second group would be the analytical group, the statisticians that may be looking at statistics differently than we have in the past. Machine learning, when when you went to to school, to grad school, you had a hypothesis, you ran a model, then you tested it. Today we may say, let's put some machine algorithms to work, come up with a million different algorithms, and let the machine select between them, and then let the analyst pick from those which ones make sense. So it may be turning the, the traditional way of uh, doing analytics on its head. And then finally, uh, the thing that Alice talked about is people who really understand data management. You know, uh, these systems, it's not just making decisions, it's not just bringing data together and making connections, but it's also how does the data flow, how do you manage it, how do you have the technology so that you know when it's real time, when it's near time, what kind of new technologies, and how do you integrate, you know, traditional relational inter- enterprise databases with these new non-SQL databases for analytics. So, Alice, do you think it's worth getting someone who works, you know, shoulder-to-shoulder with you, which is like a chief data officer, and have them build this data organization who then provide you the appropriate, um, you know, information that is flowing through and while your group takes care of the plumbing? Yeah, we um, currently we're working on a new organization, a data management organization that that will provide you know, most of that work. Um, but I think there's a, uh, there's always going to be, um, you know, a strong relationship between the, you know, how we architect data and then how we manage data in terms of data quality. So I, I'm not quite sure going forward organizationally what that structure might look like. But in the short term for us, it's going to be, Managed within our IT infrastructure, both the data management and also, you know, the system architecture and the solution and the uh, system management that uh, that that uh, links to big data. So right now, I think it's a collaborative relationship. I can see where it could make sense in the future to maybe. But would have, you say uh, where are the gaps that you see? Where are the well, gaps in workforce do you see uh, where which is you know causing that that uh, lag if you will in terms of being able to go full steam well I think as I meant, as we talked about earlier I think the, the biggest gap is um, uh, really in the in the requirements from our, our business owner trying to manage you know these legacy systems to provide data that the That'll satisfy our business customers and our external customers as well. Those are where the gaps exist for us, and I think that's a dual responsibility between data management and the IT infrastructure side. So, Kevin, if you were to paint a picture of uh, everything going well and it is the holy grail, what is it for for government in terms of big data? I think it's. The same it is for business. That is basically we're doing things close to real time and we're we're giving more information to people when they need it um, in a secure and confidential way. 
Now, that's pretty big requirements. Uh, we're not even sure we all agree on what confidentiality is necessarily. Uh, LinkedIn, for example, looks at it differently, and Facebook looks at it differently than the Census Bureau does, for example. Um, how do we how do we share data among agencies quickly in a real time way? How do we share data between different levels of government? State and local government has a lot of great data out there. They collect a lot of information on sales tax, for example. That would be great to do if you want to actually find out how regional economies are going. If you want to link that to the national uh, statistical data, that would be great. Um, right now, we don't have protocols to do that. We don't have uh, confidentiality protocols or security protocols to do that. So I see it taking a while before we actually integrate things, and part of the integration is going to be the accountability part, security, confidentiality, um, and the stuff that Ellis talked about. Ellis, one final question for you. What is your appeal and message to other leaders who may be in other agencies trying to grapple with this and eventually uh, give the label of a smarter government uh, that you can bring about using big data? Well, I think the real, uh, I think the real advice would be to know your customer because they're the ones that uh, that uh, you're trying to serve with this data. And knowing your customer and being able to to, um, to understand what the customer requirements are are critical to building effective data systems. And also collaboration, collaborating not only within the government space like it's been very interesting to hear Kevin talk about the census and how they manage data and how similar our, our missions are. And I think that collaboration with the government and also with the private sector that has new ideas and, and how to manage big data and a lot of success stories, that helps you avoid having to reinvent the wheel and spend a lot of money on investment that maybe you wouldn't have to. So I think that's those are probably the two key takeaways. Thank you so much again for um, taking the time, helping understand how the government is handling big data and how government has the potential to become smarter by leveraging this new paradigm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much again. And uh, listeners, if you have any questions or thoughts, please send us to views at CIOtalkradio.com. That is views at CIOtalkradio.com. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sunjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by Citrix, offering go-to assist, remote support made easy.